If you'll take a Bible and open to the book of Joshua, chapter 2, it's on 100, page 178 in these Bibles in the pews. We began looking at Joshua a couple of weeks ago, and I'll continue off and on at various Sundays during the, uh, the summer to look at that. I tried to be selective on the verses, but it was, it was just too difficult. Each verse is so critical here in this passage, so I want to, to read the entire chapter. Hear God's word. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us a land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother and brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. 
They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This told us, as we just read, that, <clears throat> that Joshua secretly sends two spies across the flooded Jordan River into Canaan to assess what they're up against when, when they go in there for battle. And then the camera, so to speak, moves from Joshua and the Israelites on one side of the Jordan River. It goes inside the walls of the city of Jericho. And then if you can imagine, it's almost as though it goes through the window of this particular person's house named Rahab. And rather than seeing the Canaanites just as this mass of people that have been referred to in the previous chapters of the Bible, we are introduced to an individual that gives us more insight about them and what they were thinking than any generalities we could imagine. So the two spies first move once they enter the city is to go to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. There's only speculation as to how they ended up there, but there's no clear explanation given to us. Perhaps they thought her house offered the best chance to remain anonymous. But their strategy, whatever it was, was mistaken because their cover was blown immediately. The very night they enter into Jericho, the king hears about it. So as far as spies go, they were complete failures in that regard. Could not even remain anonymous and secret for 24 hours. And so it's reported to the king. The king sends men to Rahab's house with the message to bring out the men. And at that point, their survival is completely in the hands of this Canaanite prostitute named Rahab. So they come, the representatives from the king come. She concedes, yes, they've been here, but I didn't know where they were from. And, and just before dark, they, they went out the, the city gates. They're not here anymore. If you hurry, you can, you can track them down. Meanwhile, Rahab has hidden them up on the, the roof under flax. And then she strikes a deal with the men. Her motivation for hiding them also had to do with her own survival. And that's what's really revealed here. She tells them what she and the others who lived there had heard about the Israelites. They had heard how the Lord had dried up the Red Sea, how they had conquered the two kings, Og and Sihon, and destroyed those cities. The Red Sea had happened 40 years before this. So word had spread and that it had made its way to her. She had heard about it. And now she said, everybody knows this. And all the men have lost spirit, it says. They know we are doomed. So with that being the case, she makes a deal with the two men to protect her, her father, her mother, her brothers, sisters, all their relatives when they conquer Jericho. And in so doing, she will protect them. And the men agree with three conditions. The first condition is all the relatives must be in her house 
when the battle ensues. Secondly, she must tie a scarlet cord of sorts out the window through which they are escaping now, and she must remain quiet about their whereabouts. Those were the three conditions. Verse 21, she sends them away. Verses 22 to 24, after hiding out for three days, they again cross over the flooded river. They get back to Joshua and enthusiastically say, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also the inhabitants of the land melt away before us. We have time for just a few observations. One, Joshua had already been given assurance from the Lord that the land was theirs, that God was going to hand it over to them. He had said, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon will be yours. But God had not given at that point any specific instructions. So being a military strategist, if you were here a couple of weeks ago to hear about the background of Joshua, he was a soldier, probably from the Egyptian army. Then he sends in spies to scope out the land, uh, to go in and see what, what, are they, what do they have? What are we up against as far as the number of soldiers and so forth? But then the focus quickly shifts from what would be a military strategy to this woman to Rahab, and it's just mentioned that she's a prostitute. And many people have tried to explain that away as an innkeeper, but it doesn't work. The wording is just too clear. As a young Christian, I was taught to view any contact with people through the day, especially with strangers, to view them, to view that interaction as a divine encounter. A divine encounter. I've never forgotten that. They said, as a Christian, you want to approach every interaction with two, asking two questions. One, what is God doing in this person's life? And how might God use me to help? Most of us, when we meet another person, we think, well, I wonder how I'm coming across. How does that person, what does that person think of me? What kind of impression am I making? So we were taught, what's God doing in this person's life? How might God use me to help? Well, this was definitely a divine encounter. We don't know how they ended up there, but God had prepared this woman and sent those two spies to her house. Now, most discussions about Rahab focus on her lying and whether it was ethically correct for her to lie to the king and to lie to the pursuers. And people use this account as, okay, our when you come to ethics in the Bible, are they hierarchical? In other words, if it's to save life, does that mean that the truth is not as important in order for the higher good to save the person's life? The biblical writers don't even address that. That's, that's not the point of, of this account with Rahab. The point we see is the mercy and grace of God to this woman. Now, there's definitely a place for ethical discussions and things like that, but that's not how this is used in the Bible. We believe Samuel wrote the book of Joshua years later. He doesn't even address that subject of whether her of passing judgment on the fact that she lied and deceived uh, the, the king and others in protecting these men. So what do we learn from her? What's most important is not Rahab's lies, it's on Rahab's truth, which she admits to in verses nine through 11. 
She had faith as evidenced by her confession in verse 9. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's from the previous chapter when it says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, go arise you and all the people and the land I am giving to them. She knew that. So she's repeating, though she had not heard it, what God had said to Joshua himself. And then she says dread was on the people. And she had heard about the mighty works of God, the Red Sea, the defeat of the kings of Sihon and Og. That's the basis of her faith. She had heard about the mighty works of God. That's the normal road to faith. We hear about God. Faith comes from hearing, in hearing by the word of God. And so biblical faith is based on at least some knowledge, some data, some evidence, you might say. It's not just a warm feeling. It's not just strictly sentimental at all. She doesn't say, you know, I had a good feeling about you guys when I saw you. I mean, it was obvious you weren't from around here. And I just thought, why don't I ask them? I'm going to hide them from the king. No, it wasn't emotional at all. It was knowledge. We heard what God has done. And obviously she had believed that. And then the strongest confession comes in verse 11. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And she calls him Yahweh. She uses the Jewish name for God in reference to him. Now, you know where that comes from? She is quoting almost verbatim Deuteronomy chapter 4. Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. I don't think she knew Deuteronomy. She didn't know from Deuteronomy, but she knew the same truth that was in Deuteronomy. So here's an outsider, a Canaanite, a Canaanite prostitute who's got one of the most clearest professions of faith that we see even clearer than the spies, God's people. She's affirming the supremacy of God. Now, it's just speculation at this point to say, well, she's got saving faith in God. Canaanites had a pantheon of gods. They not only had Baal of the weather, and they had Yom of the underworld, and, and Mot, uh, so whether she was just adding Yahweh to the whole mix is not clear at that point. But she definitely acknowledges that he is superior over all gods. And then she acted upon what little knowledge she had. When we come to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter, the classic chapter, listing all the characters or many of the characters who exercise great faith in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And so we have this list in Hebrews 11, and I'll just mention some of them. There's Abel, and Enoch, and Noah, and Abraham, and Sarah, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and many more. And guess who shows up on the list in verse 31? Rahab. By faith. Hebrews 11:31 says by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Rahab is presented in Hebrews as an example of faith. Why? Because of her vast knowledge? No. 
because she acted upon the little bit of knowledge she had. The little bit she had, she put, in, she put into action. That's why in the book of James, when James is writing about faith and works and that works being an evidence of true faith, he uses her as an example. He said, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So she not only took action, it was risky. From the moment she chose to protect those spies, her life was on the line. And she would have known that if the king finds this out, it will mean certain death for me and my relatives. But she not only heard, she believed and she acted upon that belief. Interesting in this chapter, we're not told the name of the king. We're not told the name of the pursuers. We're not even told the name of the two spies. But we're told Joshua's name and we're told Rahab's name. She is the star of this story. Which I want to close with this, and that is that when we look at the Bible, God typically chooses to use the least likely person. Wouldn't a king be better? Wouldn't a powerful person of influence, wouldn't a person of high moral standing that people respected in that day, in that city, have been a better choice for God to make, to use? Well, when we look at the Bible, typically, that's not how God operates. And often then and now, he, he takes and chooses the least likely person. This should teach us not to give up on unbelieving friends and relatives, those you prayed for maybe for decades, and they seem harder toward the gospel now than they did when you started. Think about your own self. What were you like? Boy, people could have given up on me very easily. And yet God worked. And we use a formula sometimes in how we think a person can be used by God. It's like a math formula, but it's very faulty. Here's how it goes. I take my abilities plus my experience plus my training, and that will determine whether God uses me or not or not. My abilities, my experience, my training, and that will determine whether I'm effective in my service to God. But God uses a completely different formula. Here's God's formula. Are you willing and what is your weakness? He'll take your willingness and your weakness and that's typically what he works through. And that's why Paul himself could say that his power said about him, my power is perfected in weakness. Perfect example is Moses. Here's Moses. God calls him to lead his people out of Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 4, Moses says he cannot lead them because he's slow of speech. He had some kind of speech impediment or stuttering or something like that. And then God says, who made man's mouth? Go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. You feel like the least likely? Well, take courage and remember Rahab. Last note, so what happened in Rahab after she and her family were rescued? That occurs in Joshua chapter 6 after when the city of Jericho falls. 
Joshua 6 says this, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. And she shows up one more place. In Matthew chapter one, we have a genealogy of Jesus himself. And that long genealogy in chapter one, it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And, and who was Jesse the father of? Speak to me. David, son of Jesse. <laughs> Remember that from the cartoon with the kids. I am David. There she is in the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab shows up. There's a tradition in the church, goes all the way back to the early centuries of the Christian church, that sees that scarlet cord as a possible representation of the blood of Jesus, and that teachers have talked about the scarlet cord running through the Bible and going back all the way to Abel's sacrifice, all the way up to Jesus' death on Calvary. There's lots of reasons to question whether any of that was intentional or not. Uh, I don't know if that's true. But I do know this, the way of salvation and forgiveness has always been the same through the substitute of another, through the substitute of animals in the Old Testament representing the Lamb of God who would come later and through Jesus Christ himself who died in our place. May our trust be in him and in him only and we will be in good company like with, Ra with prostitutes like Rahab. Let's pray together. Our Father, your mercy and grace far exceeds our expectation in our own lives and the lives of others. Help us to be expectant. Help us to recognize, even to see how you were at work in Canaan, and none of the Israelites knew about it. And yet you were preparing some there also to serve you, even in the midst of conflict and danger. We pray that our trust will be in Christ as our Redeemer and Him only. May we put what we know into action by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.